0: possible recession on the horizon, organizations around the world are turning to their playbooks and beginning to refine their focus to make sure they come through the other side stronger than before. The law department simply cannot be an outlier in this effort, and trimming spend will no doubt be an inevitable ask. Now, there are multiple ways to tackle creating these efficiencies, but in today's podcast, we're going to focus on how law departments can effectively manage their external resources and spend through a convergence program or a preferred provider panel. Now I'm delighted to be joined today by my colleagues, Katie Winmiller and Matthew Prynne. Katie leads Denton's proposal function in the U.S. and has many years of experience leading global RFP responses and has incredible insight into trends around the world. Matt is a proposal advisor and consultant to Denton's and is also founder of RFP Advisory Group, where he regularly advises clients on how to successfully conduct the convergence process. And we're delighted to be joined by you both today. Thank you so much for your time. Now, running a convergence process can eat up a lot of internal resources that may otherwise need to be focused on just simply the rising demands of the business that we will anticipate over the next few months. So it's really important to stay focused and to strike the right balance. Can you share your thoughts on a a few best practices that law departments should know if they're considering an RFP for a preferred provider panel?
1: Thanks, Joanne. And you know, I think when Legal departments consider doing a preferred provider panel process. Um, there's a couple of things that they really want to make sure they address before they start. And the first being, you know, what I call the prep.
0: Um,
1: and the preparation really involves both people and data. And so from the people side, you want to make sure that everybody is educated on the reasons why you're doing the initiative, the goals and the objectives, and how it's going to impact them. And the more they learn about that at the beginning, the smoother the process will be. Um, and also from the data side, on the uh, when you when you when you're talking about preparation of data, you want to make sure you have all your ducks lined up as far as prior spend, types of billing models, which law firms were used, and any historical feedback from the people who've used them. So if you incorporate both, um, you know the people and the data. And you take that information before you've even drafted the RFP um, and laid out your strategy, it should all be incorporated into the you know entire initiative.
2: Yeah, and to add on to what Matt said, um, really another great best practice to have when creating the convergence program um, is to put a lot of thought into the questions you ask and how you ask them because the question will greatly impact not only the process that you go through, but also the relevance of the responses you will receive back from the law firms. So the question should really be customized to your why. Why are you doing this convergence program in the first place? You know, you have a goal. So make sure that the questions you ask will actually solicit the feedback you want back to address the goals that you're trying to achieve. Um, You wanna write your questions thoughtfully. You wanna be able to compare law firms on the same level. So make sure that you phrase your questions really well and clearly. It's much easier to compare apples to apples than oranges to apples, of course. Um, When coming up with the the questions, consider who would be actually reviewing the responses and the amount of time you want to spend on them. So vague or ambiguous questions will get back really long-winded answers that may not even answer what you were looking for in the first place. And then finally, I would definitely consider who you want the content to come from. So who's writing the response to this? Do you want it from the marketing team, which would generally get back more of a standard firm language type of response? Or do you want the lawyers to be way more involved so to say to have fresh ink on the paper? Um, the way you ask your questions could really greatly change the specificity with which the firms respond.
0: Thanks, Katie. That's really helpful. I, I can't imagine anybody wants to wade through massive amounts of, of marketing materials. I think that's an excellent recommendation. Now, you both probably see more RFPs than than most people, certainly given your role in Dentons and as the world's largest law firm. But can you share with us some of the interesting trends that you might be seeing in, in RFPs today around the world? Thanks,
1: Joanne. Yeah, when it comes to trends, to me, there's one that almost jumps right off the page. And that's, the increase in the volume of matter-based RFPs. Um, And so we're all familiar with the preferred panel structure, where you're picking a certain number of law firms to send the majority of your work to. Uh, But what I've seen, you know, as an emerging trend is legal departments are now realizing that it's really hard for them to get the cost savings that they need by just doing the preferred panels. They then need to do a second step and do matter-based RFPs. And so what I mean by that is, for example, uh, you know, a company might have an MA acquisition that they're planning. Um, they will then look to outside counsel to handle this transaction. Since they know the details in the scope of the transaction, they can then reach out to a smaller number of law firms and, and ask them to bid on the project. And because they have enough data and scope to share, they can then demand that the law firms come back with some type of uh, alternative fee proposal. Uh, Typically we're seeing fixed or capped rates as the most, I mean fixed or capped fees as the most popular. This will then at least allow the legal department to compare apples to apples. Because if you're trying to compare law firms based on hourly rates, which is often the way it's done in a in a preferred panel RFP. Uh, those rates really aren't apples to apples, and it's just really hard to uh, compare law firms that early in the process if you don't know what you're going to be having them do. The matter-based RFPs allow allow the legal departments the ability to compare the law firms apples to apples, and they'll ask things like what is your experience in front of this particular judge in this region with this technology or what their legal strategy or approach to the matter would be is. And those are the kind of key questions that they can ask in a matter-based RFP that you just can't ask in a preferred panel one. So we've seen a huge increase in legal departments who have now become more comfortable with the RFP process moving to these smaller, shorter, quicker RFPs Um, to help them pick a firm for a specific project.
2: Yeah. And another trend um, that I think is super popular right now, and I don't imagine will be going away anytime soon, is the use of technology in order to issue these RFPs, but also to review them. So proposal technology platforms are making RFPs far more easy to manage and really just streamline the entire process. Um, It's also freeing up a lot of in-house counsel time and the procurement people's time. Um, It allows for better ability to manage all the resources and responses that come in. So definitely really streamlining the process and saving people a lot of time. Another trend that we're starting to see is the use of videos. So companies are starting to ask firms to not only respond, obviously in writing, but also with a short and very succinct type of video to better get a sense of the lawyers or the professionals they'll be work- working with on a regular basis. So I'm really liking this trend because I think it puts a human component to a response. You know, you can write whatever it is you want to write on a piece of paper and you might have to send it to who knows who's reviewing it within the company, whether it's two people or 10 people. And if they're going to have to wade through um, 10 Pages about one response or whatever it might be, instead, to sit down and watch a five minute video and really feel a connection with the people you'll be working with. I think that's a huge benefit and a great trend that we're seeing.
1: Yeah, Katie, I totally agree with that comment. And in particular, you know, since COVID, law firms have become more comfortable uh, using Zoom and, you know, and having virtual meetings. It eliminates a certain amount of time that historically was built into the RFP process when law firms would travel to the headquarters of a legal department to pitch in person. So, you know, if we have a shorter time frame, um, video is now an option for folks. And, and I totally agree with you. I expect to see uh, more legal departments use video and get away from some of the uh, traditional written responses.
0: That's great. Definitely much more interesting to watch video submissions rather than reading through pages and pages of text. I really love that trend. Now let's talk about what in-house departments should avoid as part of the process.
1: When it comes to traps or obstacles in the RFP process, to me, the most important thing is leverage. And what I mean by that is it's important that as early on in the process, you get buy-in from whatever you need within the company to help the process move forward and help change behavior. So that means both from your legal team or your business colleagues or whoever's gonna be involved in the uh, allocation of outside counsel, you really wanna make sure that they're bought into the process and paddling in the right direction. You don't wanna to get to an instance or a situation where you know, you're know you halfway through the process or the firms have even already been selected and then you learn from certain um, people you know in-house that they prefer to use a firm that wasn't selected or that they're not really on board with the process and that they try to go kind of their own separate way. And so the more you can do at the beginning to get everybody bought in and to educate and communicate the benefits, uh, the less likely you're going to have those problems.
2: I would say that a lot of companies um, don't actually realize how long it takes to review responses. So a huge trap is kind of the timing side of it. So you're going to ask law firms for responses. And depending on going back to what I said earlier, the types of questions that you ask, um, you could get a ridiculous amount of pages worth of responses back. So really give some thought to how much time it takes to actually review responses. And you know, on the flip side of that, being on the side of things that I'm on and the person that's always under pressure to turn you know, bespoke proposals around in a matter of days. I think it's really important for companies to also realize the amount of time and resources that go into responding to the panel RFP. So, you know, there's a lot of buy-in that needs to happen and a tremendous amount of work and time that goes into the initiative. So I think on both sides of it, it really is um, its something that takes a lot of time. So really take that into consideration. And then finally, make sure that you follow up on the promises. you that the firms make. So, you know, within your proposal, you're going to have a certain number of value adds that a firm offers. Make sure they're following through on that um, and really stick to and enforce outside counsel guidelines. I think that's a big thing that sometimes falls to the wayside and it's important to make sure you stick to those items. Um, It can really make or break a panel program.
1: I, I actually think that's a really big change we're seeing is, you know, before they would make the guidelines and hope you followed, now I'm seeing more uh, legal departments really holding law firms accountable and saying, "Okay, you know, you you promised four CLE programs. Um, you know, we're halfway through the year. Um, let's get those scheduled or, or, or other things like
0: that." Katie and Matt, thank you so much for your time and for sharing these really practical tips. I know we've had the occasion to connect with clients on this process, and one thing that really stands out for me is there's certainly no one size fits all approach, but really important to take a step back and to give consideration to the organizational culture and and what kind of change management will be required in order to roll out a successful program. So thanks so much for your time today. I look forward to continuing the conversation.
2: Thank you, Joanne.
0: Thanks, Joanne.